0: Today's episode of Sports and the World, we're going international as we talk about the NBA finals, the French Open, the news of the world, your top five list, and of course your stat of the day. That's today on Sports and the World. Good afternoon and good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and more importantly, how are you listening to it? Thank you for making sports and the world a part of your day. I'm Ladarius Brown. And I hope you guys had a great week, safe week, a blessed week. And also, I made a Instagram page for the podcast. It is also at Sports the World, along with the Twitter page at Sports the World. So. Give it a go. DM me, tweet me, suggestions, ideas for the show. I truly do appreciate it. So, let's get in to the NBA Finals. Now, from the last time you and I talked, games two and three took place. And game two kind of went the way that I expected it. That Golden State bouncing back, figuring out a way to win on the road. It's the championship mentality that that team has. But, I want to talk about Game 3. And, I took away three things from Game 3. First of all, I took away that, you know, Toronto, you know, they come to play. Not saying I didn't think they didn't come to play in Game 1. But, you know, it just wasn't Kawhi. Okay? You had Kyle Lowry play a, a very good game. You had Danny Green shooting the lights out and you got great help from the bench especially from Serge Ibaka so when I looked up I said according to the great folks at basketballreference.com he's the first player in their database to have six or more blocks coming off the bench in the NBA Finals game and since the 2000 and 2001 season White, Howard, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Bynum, and Gasol had more blocks in the NBA Finals in a game. And when I saw that, I said, you know, I forgot how good Serge Ibaka was defensively. You know, I remember his days at Oklahoma City and how great he was. He was the guy that I think, you know, you had Westbrook, you had Durant, you had Harden. But Ibaka was that guy. He was just a defensive monster. He, he was very reminiscent of, like, Ben Wallace for the Pistons for where, you know, he wasn't the greatest offensive threat. But boy, could he play defense. And we saw that in Toronto. And the box and one defense, and I gotta give a lot of credit to the coaching staff, Nick Nurse, I gotta give credit to that staff. Because what they did in game two, where they gave up defensively, I felt, in the third quarter, they came back in game three. And, and that's in the third quarter of, that, of, of game three, Boy, they stifled Golden State and you know I'm gonna believe that you know excuse of the tools for incompetence lead to minus to nothing but, you know Golden State nicked up no clay for this game of course no KD and it was the Steph Curry show and that kind of leads me into point three let's say point two boy how great was Toronto on the road how great was Kyle Lowry Sergey Baca, Van Fleet, Danny Green. But point three, and the most important point, is how great is Steph Curry? As you recall, when I listed the to top NBA players now, I had Steph Curry three. And the two guys ahead of him, you know, his teammate, Kevin Durant, who's not in the series yet, and LeBron James. And I, and I feel confident, and I said then, he's a solid, the third best player in the world. I felt that. But what he did... What he did in game three, what he did was simply this. He put up 47 points. And he's the eighth player in the history of the NBA Finals to score 47 points. And the other seven dudes, all Hall of Famers, or soon to be Hall of Famers, Bob Pettit, Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, the logo, Jerry West, the goat, Michael Jordan, AI, and LeBron. And there will be a stat of the day about Steph Curry that's going to be even more, I think, telling of how great he was in this game. And FYI, since we're using the 2001 season, only LeBron James has scored more points 51 in the loss in the finals. So, that's a testament that it had to be Steph Curry and I kept hearing people saying before this game, well, Steph needs a defining moment. Steph Curry did not need a defining moment in this game. But Steph Curry sure gave us a defining moment. And what he was able to do was go out there and essentially put on a show. He was gassed. You could tell. Not having his co-star, Clay Thompson, out there. And it showed. But let me tell you, he put on a show and, and I think that reports are that Clayton Thompson will be there for game four on Sunday. So that could also help him make a big change in this series. But I just want to bring up one more thing about Steph Curry. You're not going to find it on these great stats I got from basketballreference.com. What I learned about Steph Curry was that we can make an argument that we tend to put him on the back burner because of how great Kevin Durant is. We forgot, like, wait a minute, Steph Curry is a, a Finals MVP, two-time Finals MVP, and we forgot about him. We forgot about him because of how great Kevin Durant, and that's a testament to Kevin Durant. But Steph Curry we tend to forget he was the Golden State Warriors. He was the face of the franchise. And it's, and it's still a belief that he is. And it's kind of like when I think of the Miami Heat where when LeBron came, and I always said that, listen, LeBron was the better player, but Dwayne Wade was still the face. That we forgot about Dwayne Wade, that he was already a champion before, before LeBron and Bosh even got to town and we forgot about Dwyane Wade. In the same way we're forgetting about how great Steph Curry is. And that tends to happen, but I hope that game was a reminder of how great he is. And, in FYI, you know, another telling stat, of, you know, of how Golden State was that only three dudes scored double figures. We know one was Steph, the other was Draymond Green, and the other was Andre Iguodala. You know how many guys had in double figures for Toronto? Six. Everybody in the starting lineup, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, Siakam, Green, Gasol, and 11 points from Van Fleet off the bench. That to me was a telling stat, simply because It was all Steph. It was all Steph. And Steph reminded us in that 47 point game that he is a top three player in this league. We tend to forget that because of how great Kevin. We tend to forget that and we took it for granted. I believe, I think in life, we take people for granted when the next big thing comes along. It's kind of like when we look at... I, I, like, I love entertainment. You know, we kind of, for years, took a lot of... I think an act, a couple of actors and actresses for granted because of somebody new that came up. And what I always say is that I think a lot of people... One of my favorite actors, and I think we took this dude for granted was how great it was was Gene Hackman. We forgot how great Gene Hackman was. You know, the French Connection, Hoosier. We took him for granted. Because in that same era, you had guys like Jack Nicholson, you know, you had the Fondas, yeah, Peter, Henry Fonda. You had a lot of actors in that generation. And we forgot. And you know, he was in one of my personal favorite movies absolute power with Clint Eastwood. We forgot how good Gene Hackman was was because we the other actors in his era were not say better, but they were more publicized. And when I think of coaching, I don't think we and we, I'm not talking about NBA coach, I'm talking about in the coaching profession. I think we kind of took a lot of great we took Don Nelson and Paul Westfall for granted. Because what you see with this fun and gun type offense in the NBA, those dudes, and we took them for granted. And Steph Curry reminded us how great it was, and how you shouldn't take the third best player in the world for granted. Like, how do you forget? Like, we also forgot, you know, we took kind of we took Scottie Pippen for granted for a while too, until MJ left and he kind of led the Bulls. But you know, we tend to forget when, when something's not there. And kind of like the absence makes the heart grow fonder. We didn't appreciate him, we didn't need it. Like, well, We didn't need Steph, but you needed him and he stepped up as usual. And as usual, we'll be right back. And we're gonna shift gears and we're gonna talk about the French Open and a lot to get to. Talk about greatness and a lot of international things, of course, that's the theme, of course. But that's next on sports and the world. Back into Sports in the World. Thank you for listening as always. And once again, the social media page for the podcast is at sports the world for both Twitter and Instagram. Once again, give it a shot. DM me, tweet me your thoughts on the show, what you like to see, or more like it, what you want to hear. And the next thing you're going to hear is about the French Open. And one of the things that I like, you know, I like tennis. You know, it's not just because of Serena. That's a major part of it. But I really do like the talent that's out there. And what we're learning this year in the French Open is that for America, you know, you know, it, there's still great talent out there. Because now there's only one American left and on the women's side. And it's 70 year old Amanda... As a Manova. Now, it's not a household name, obviously, but let me tell you what she did. She defeated the defending champion, the defending French Open champion, Simona Haleb, straight sets, 6 2, 6 4. What I learned is simply this. You know, it goes to show you how tennis, it's one of the things, the secret things I like about tennis, upsets happen. And it's not an indictment on Simona Halep. She'll bounce back. I'm sure she's going to compete in the next Grand Slam. She's going to do great. But it speaks to more so that, you know, I always hear about American tennis. And more so American soccer, which we'll, we'll talk about, trust me, in the podcast to come. You know, how we look at sports, like a sport like tennis. Like the next great next great tennis star. You know, and I think it's out there and there's plenty out there you know I think we learned that you know on the male side you got John Eisner good dude and you know the women's side you got you know Naomi Osaka, who also got knocked out of the top seated she got knocked out and let's talk about another American you know 20 year old American Sophia Kennan she knocked out Serena Williams in the third round and, and if you want more staggering, Amanda Asmanova, Sofia Kennan, they were not seated in the top 128 player field. They were not seated. What does that say about tennis? It's, you know, when I think of these Grand Slam tournaments, it's kind of like March Madness, where we've seen that a 16 can beat a one, a 15 can beat a two, a 14 and three, upsets happen. And we don't give tennis enough credit for that because tennis is the same It's the same format. It's March Madness. If you, th- if you really think about it, you know, high seed, low seed, it's seeded. And upsets can happen at any moment. You know, you have to be on your game. If you're a top seed, if you're a Serena Williams, if you're a Naomi Osaka, excuse me, you got to be on top of your game. Defending champions, you got to be on top of your game. Just like this the top seeds in the tournament. You gotta be on top of your game or you're done. And and that's one of the things from the women. And quite honestly, you know, I do root, you know, but I wanna talk about something on the men's side. And I think it's a rivalry that, you know, I could argue is a top ten rivalry in sports. And that's Rafael Nadal versus Roger Federer, who I think will go down as two of the greatest male tennis players, especially of my generation. And you know, we can easily put them in the class of Sampras and Agassiz. you know, Connors and Mack. We can easily put these guys in that echelon, in that class. But I want to give you a few numbers here, thanks to the fine folks at the WTA. Dot com. You know, the tennis, ten, World Tennis Association. You know, this rivalry. Listen, it's 23-15. to 15, Nadal holding that advantage all the time. But however, Federer has won the last five straight matchups. Although none came on a clay court. Which is a stat we'll get to in just a few. These dudes combined, they're 70 years old. Federer is 37. he going to turn 30 in August. Nadal turned 33 on Monday. Happy belated birthday, Rafi. Between these dudes, 20 Grand Slam titles. For Federer, 8 Wimbledons, 6 Australian Opens, 5 U.S. Opens, 1 French Open. That's 20 Grand Slams for Roger Federer. 17 for Nadal, 11 French. 3 U.S. Opens, 2 Wimbledons, and 1 Australian Open. Between these two, there's 37 Grand Slam titles. You know, it's a rivalry that we don't talk, but that's... I'm telling you, in tennis, people tend to forget Sampras and Agassi. How great, how back and forth they went. And, you know, once again, we talked about respect. You know, we tend to forget Novak Djokovic, who we're also going to bring up in Testament. And the number of Oh, by the way. French Open titles. He can win 12. Ken it all? And it would break the mark of 11. Which he has now. At one Grand Slam held by Margaret Court. The Australian. He's dominated. He's dominated this tournament. To me, it's like how I always think of Serena at Wimbledon. I always, even though Serena is 37. And if I say women's age, I apologize. But. It goes to show you that, listen, you know, Nadal probably has, what, three, maybe five prime years left. And let me tell you, he could easily win, because this is his tournament, and he's only lost twice at Roland Garros. He lost to Robin Soderling in 2009 and the aforementioned Novak Djokovic four years ago, in 2015. That's how great he is. Let me tell you the one stat that I saw that I got blown away by. You know what his winning percentage is on clay? 91.75%. That's essentially saying every 10 matches he plays on a court, he's going to win 9 of them. When that's dominance. And we don't talk about, we always talk about Serena Williams and her dominance. And you might see her a little bit later in the show, too. How dominant Rafael Nadal. Was. And listen, but this is, with these two guys, what they've done for tennis on the male side, is I always say is this. I can't understand the fact that watching these two dudes play, it's like Ollie Frazier. Okay, it's like Bird and Magic. It's, it's to the, when you know that they're going to be in the ring, they on the court. You know you're going to get your money's worth. And for the lack of a better... Wait. Tennis and stars. Listen, these dudes... Listen, Federer's going to be... Like I just said, Federer's going to be 38 in, April, in August. And the doll just turned 33. These dudes are still playing at a high level. And that's a testament to... A, the competitive spirit. And that's going to be, You know, and dedication to the craft. And... You know, what I, what I say about the state of American tennis is, we're going to get there. There's going to be a star. You know, I remember Andy Roddick. Andy Roddick was a great American star. But we got guys like John Isner, we're going to be fine. And this is to emphasize that, listen, if you ask me today who I would take, i take Nadal. What Nadal is to the French Open. I can argue what LeBron James was in the NBA finals for nine straight years. Just, you know, like, oh, that guy's going to be in the finals. Just like when you, when I hear French Open, I think, oh, Nadal. I think that guy doesn't lose on court 91.75%. I think of the fact that 11 of his 17 Grand Slams are rolling Roland Garros. It's dominant. And speaking of dominance, when we come back, we're going to speak to the top five headlines that dominated this week on News of the World next on Sports and the World. in the world thank you for the continuing listening and I just want to jump right into a segment that I'm tossing around because it's sports in the world and you know I listened to some suggestions that I got to put some emphasis on the word world in sports in the world so I decided to go with the news of the world and talk about top five headlines going on this week. And so, the first thing I want to talk about is the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And President Trump visited Normandy and he attended the D-Day events with Queen Elizabeth II in Britain on Wednesday where he recited a prayer read by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt on June 6, 1944. And one of the things that I'll just say is it's a day that I think all of us remember from the, arguably it's no doubt about the greatest generation. You know, my, my dad was in the greatest generation. And, you know, my grandparents. And what I say is that D-Day is an example of how, how they were teenagers, much younger than me. And it maybe the same as some of you guys listening now. Going into Normandy, going into France, and becoming men, you know, you know leaving, leaving here boys and coming back men, it's a testament to the men who fought in that war, and there are still many alive today in their 90s. It's nothing but gratitude to them and for what they did for the good of this nation. second story we talk about the there's a search to remember those Virginia Beach shooting victims and obviously it's a very very sad story you know a longtime Virginia Beach Public Works employee shot and killed 12 victims and wounded four others last Friday before he was fatally wounded during the gun battle with police and both these headlines are courtesy of USA Today and, you know, I don't want to get into a gun debate. I, I don't. You know, people say with thoughts and prayers, you know, they don't work and all that. But, you know, to these 12 families, you know, sons, brothers, mothers, daughters, you know, we can give them our thoughts and prayers and we can do something. I'm not going to sit here and say that I have the greatest solution. I'm not going to say you got it. But we all could come together and make a decision and stop these things from happening and from taking place. And next, I want to talk about Nancy Pelosi. And according to Politico and The Week, she reportedly tells top Democrats that she wants Trump, quote, in prison. Not impeached so what basically happened here is that the House Judiciary Chairman Jared Naylor Democrat from New York he spent part of the meeting urging Pelosi to let his committee start an impeachment inquiry against Trump the second time he's made the re- this request in r- recent weeks and Pelosi responded reportedly quote I don't want to see him impeached I want to see him in prison and this is what multiple people had told Politico People close to Pelosi said she wants Trump to lose in 2020 to face prosecution for the alleged crimes. And one of the things that I've said is, i said two things about this. And I know I said in the very first episode i are not gonna get too political. From time to time we may delve into it, but I'm not gonna sit there and take a strong side left or right. That's not me. It's not, you know, try to keep fans. It was just the person I am when it comes to politics. I try to see both sides. And I can understand Democrats right now wanting to impeach Trump and I, and I get it but on the other side I see is that with this Mueller investigation and I recall Democrats saying you know we trust Bob Mueller to get the truth because they wanted to, they wanted Bob Mueller to basically essentially convict Trump of crimes but if you kind of hear the press company saying well because he's president and one of the things that you can't impeach somebody on doubt Or, you know, personal dislikement. You can't do it. Because what happens is, when you start doing that, you know, it becomes less about politics and more about being personal. And, you know, with Clinton, you know, when he lied to the American people about Monica Lewinsky. And Nixon resigned because he knew that he was going to get impeached for Watergate. Those were two concrete things that happened. And mind you, I know we read and say, I'm not defending the president. I'm not trying to say, when people say, oh, he's a Trumper. I always try to look at it prospectively. This is that you got to get hard, concrete stuff. If you can prove, he was clear, you know, essentially, he wasn't convicted of collusion with the Russians. And that was, I think that was the lynching, that's the lynchpin. I think that was holding up the impeachment argument but when he was essentially absconded from it, it kind of lost, it lost water to me. But I hope in the long run, there'll be more about it. There, you know, more in the news about it. And if we get to cover it, I'd love to talk about it. And I also want to talk about next, the West Point train accident that leaves one dead more than 20 injured. So one person has died and more than 20 have been injured after an accident near a West Point training site Thursday. The military academy confirmed that one cadet died in the accident. Twenty cadets and two soldiers were wounded. And partly from ABC News and The Week. And what I say is, you know, thinking of the family. And I put this in the news because I think it's important to to kind of put emphasis on what's going on. I think because first of all, it's the military. I think they're always important. And that's not taking a strong political. Once again, I'm taking the political side. Sports in the world. Because in sports, we talk about politics, politics, we talk about sports. Interchangeable stuff, in my opinion. Because you can compare, you know, that might be a top five list someday. You know, top five guys are politicians, and politicians would be great. You know, we'll get to that. But what I will say is that, you know, I just hope something, you know, I hope everybody's okay. That's the only takeaway I can give you. And the last story here in the news of the world is that the Warriors' part owner Mark Stevens banned from NBA games for pu- for pushing Kyle Larry. Now, if you saw Game Three, like most of us did, you know I'll give you the backstory. The Warriors have apologized for the actions of part owner Mark Stevens and confirmed that he was the man sitting courtside who pushed Raptors All-Star Kyle Larry during Game Three NBA Finals last night. The NBA announced Thursday that Stevens has been banned from NBA Games for a year for his conduct and fined a half a million dollars. And that was from Catrice Rollins from Sport Illustrated. And simply put here, I am pro-player. And in this sense. And I defended, you know, Russell Westbrook within the same incident, the hecklers and the pushing that happened when he was played in Utah this season where you're a fan your job is to be the spectator you don't put your hands on the player because if the player puts their hands on you you want them in court you want their money and sue them for millions and what makes this very very hard to swallow is that this guy is the part owner of the Warriors so it's not just some average Joe it's a fan and when and he's a fan he's the part owner and now you have to apologize for his actions. And this is what I say. I think Cal heard kind of, and I kind of agree on this. You gotta buy him out. You gotta buy him out because this is not a good look. It's not a great look because you just don't put your hands on players. player. And as much as I'm not the biggest Russell Westbrook fan in the world, I defend him and say, listen, you don't put your hands on players. And Russell Westbrook had a solid point. And you see a lot of that happening. And fans feel like, well, I paid the ticket. Yeah, you're right, you paid to watch them play basketball. Doesn't give you the poetic license and the discretion to just touch it. You know, there are people just like you and me that just make a lot more money. And I'm glad that, <laughs> I'm glad they took ownership in this. I'm glad that, listen, one of the things that I, I commend Adam Silver for that, listen, swift action ban him for a year, fine him, and I also also make the point, you need to buy him out, because I just, you have to send a message to people that this is unacceptable. Because if he, if part owner of a team can do it, imagine what a fan could do. I mean, fans have got banned for life. Uh, fan, fans have got banned for life from arenas. And I think you could send that message to Mark Stevens. I'm not saying he should hang in the gallows for it. But you need to send a message, a very strong message. And I hope that gets resolved and, you know, more action is done in that part. But what's going to be done is your top five list and, of course, your stat of the day. That's next on Sports and the World. and welcome back into the final segment here of sports in the world you hear the music you know what time it is it's today's top five list and today's top five list in keeping with the international theme is top international athletes and I want to mention right at the top of the board i had to leave out some very big stars Roger Federer Steph Curry Neymar Tiger Woods. These were dudes that were super close to getting on the list. And ultimately, a lot of factors come in. It's not about endorsements. It's not necessarily about how much money you make. It's about right down the world, the top five athletes in the world. And here we go. Number five, I chose Serena Williams. And Serena Williams on here was a no doubt situation. And I know we all know everything about Serena Williams, but let me tell you some more about who I think is arguably the greatest female tennis player ever. She's won more Grand Slam single titles, 23, than any other woman or man during the Open era. She's one of two players in the Open era to have won each major. We're talking the French Open, the U.S. Open, the Australian Open, the Fr- yeah, the French Open three times or more, only her and Steffi Graf are the two women walking planet Earth that can say that. And she's beaten 20 of the other 24 women to be ranked number one in history. And you wanna know why she couldn't beat the other four? You know why? They retired before she even started her career. When it comes to Serena Williams, I think I could argue top 10 greatest, athlete international in all time she took her sport and dominated it the same way that we look at Michael Jordan is the same way we should look at Serena Williams for tennis she just dominated not just for I could argue for a decade and a half has dominated tennis and you know and she's played in an era where look a lot of great competition so i don't want to hear people say oh she didn't play against anybody i mean off the top of my head listen she beat 20 of the other from women to be ranked number one in the world in history and she can be other four because they retired before she you know they retired before she even stepped on the court so she's played against top competition when people say oh well she didn't play anybody yeah she did were you paying attention i don't think you were and, number four, Rafael Nadal. Listen, I gave you all the stats and numbers about this dude, and I could argue he could go down as one of the greatest male tennis players of all time. I told you how great he is, 91%, 92%. Just, I like to round up on Clay. He's that good, he dominated his sport. Listen, him and Roger Federer, 23 and 15, versus Roger Federer. And that's one of the dudes I had to leave off of this list. So that lets let you know how great this list is oh, you'll tell me about it at twitter and instagram at sports the world sports the world you'll tell me about it number three LeBron James and, and I have to make something very clear there's a difference between him being the top NBA player and top international athlete because I do factor in how well known you are Like when you walk on the street hey I know that guy this is the world So how great, how well known you are. Listen, we know about LeBron, youngest player to be drafted, number one, 18. But what you didn't know is that he has an ownership in Liverpool FC. And in 2011, he bought his investment of $6.5 million has grown around five times as large since 2011. LeBron James is a mogul. You When I think of mogul, I think of Jay-Z who just became first hip-hop billionaire. LeBron is a billion-dollar athlete. Jay-Z is more than a musician. The same way that LeBron's more than an athlete. LeBron has a production company, he's acting. You know, go watch Trainwreck, that's a pretty good movie. I like, a Bill Hader's in that movie. It's a great movie, it's a great cast. LeBron James, he's opened up a school lebron james is more than an athlete this guy is a legit sports mogul and even if even if he doesn't win a title in la but if he does that only elevates that only elevates it to me lebron does not get hurt if he doesn't bring a title to la he's still to me he's still well known across the planet earth and there's a reason for that because look this list is based on popularity of sport and popularity of the athlete. Basketball is popular, tennis, is worldwide is popular. That's why Serena, Rafi, and LeBron. Now, number two, they're, tennis, they're soccer players, or they call it football. And number two, and this was very hard, to put these two, this was very hard, for the record, super hard. Number two, Lionel Messi. Milo is a FIFA World Player of the Year five times he wanted four straight years from 09 to 12 and in 2015 he's the all-time scorer in Spanish League La Liga with 417 goals and that's at least hundred and six more than any other player the next best player is the person who's number one he has four champion League trophies, 10 La Liga titles, six Copa del Rey, eight Spanish Super Cups, and three UEFA Super Cups. When I look at Lionel Messi, I look at Lionel Messi as the dude who I can sit here and argue in Argentina. You know, when I think of Argentina guy, I think of Ginobili and I think of Messi. Probably Messi more than Ginobili. But when I think of Lionel Messi, I think of a guy who's loyal to his country. I think of a dude who just, look, going down as one of the greats. You know, I'm not saying is he Pele, time will tell. When I look at Lionel Messi, I think we talk about what he can't win, but how much he's already accomplished. And I say, well, hold this, Lionel Messi's closer to my age. And let me tell you, he can win a lot more especially a lot more in the league of titles and he can definitely win a couple more champion champions league trophies as well and that's why i like him i really like him but this was hard number one i had to put christian Ronaldo number one simply because he was the he, was, he became the first player to win the uefa champions league five times He has 125 goals and 161 appearances in Champions League. That's 17 more goals ahead of his nearest rival, Lionel Messi. And by the way, that next best guy on that list for the La Liga was Cristiano Ronaldo with 311. Look, with Cristiano Ronaldo, he's gonna go down as part of the greatest forward who ever played soccer. You can make that point, him and you, you could argue. But when I think of the, the the Ronaldo Messi, I think it's a lot closer than what the experts think. I mean, it's still Lee Corso's line, but it's a lot closer than what we're giving any credit for. Simply because I think when we think of Messi and when we think of these dudes, we don't necessarily think of championships. We think of how great they've played for their country. To me, it boils down to to me, FIFA and Champions League. And when Ronaldo won Champions League, which you could argue I don't wanna, you know, anger soccer fans. It's looked at a little bit, you know, in a greater, you know, factor than you know, not not the La Liga, but you know, it's the Champions League and he's won it five times. Marketable. You walk; He can walk down even the streets of Barcelona to the streets of France, and they know who he is. Just soccer is the most popular sport in the world. I don't need to look it is. And, and I tell people, soccer is popular, and people consider argue, I said international. If it was American, this list would, you know, 40% of this list would stay the same, just in different order. But in terms of international, Chris Ronaldo is likable. And simply put, I can't put emphasis on what separates Ronaldo from Messi is I think of the fact that people still like Ronaldo slightly more upside. And we're talking, these dudes are in the third, we're talking upside. But And you know, I tend to agree with it. And I really like Lionel Messi. It's kind of the same way we look at we talk about Agassiz and Sampras for pretending. When it comes to we kind of look at this to kinda use another sport, it's kinda like the Bryce Harper, Mike Trout thing. When you really look at the core of the numbers, Mike Trout's the better player. But but yet people talk about Bryce Harper because he's marketable. And and I believe, you know, when I if you had to put me who's who, Mike Trout, you know, I think of Lionel Messi. More along the lines of, you know, of you know, probably Mike Trout, and I think Bryce Harper is Cristiano. Ronaldo. But listen, in baseball, you know, numbers matter. So does soccer. But my point is, I look at those dudes and I go, "That's what matters." And Cristiano Ronaldo wins, and he can win for a lot longer than Messi. But what's not happening for a lot long is going to be your stat of the day and you said that it comes from basketballreference.com and what we talked earlier about the greatest of Steph Curry. Let me tell you how great Steph Curry is. I told you about his, I talked about the 47 points, let me put this in perspective. It was his sixth 40 point playoff game, matching George Gervin's career total, and he passed Larry Bird. When I said Steph Curry had himself a game, the one guy you couldn't blame that night was Steph Curry. Best player on the court, hands down. I know that the the team, the Raptors won, but Curry won the night. Okay, it's just like, great moments you think about, "Oh, oh yeah, that team won, but that dude won the night. Steph Curry won the night. And so, what's also winning, it's also losing, because I have to say, that's all for this episode of Sports in the World. Thank you for taking time out of your day. I appreciate it. And until we enjoy each other's company right then, right here again soon, next week, let's say. Be real, be you, and be safe. Until next time, I'll see you as you and I together go on this journey of sports and the world.